Good afternoon, everyone. Feel, feel, feel spread out here. So hopefully, you, if you can't hear us over there, just put up your hands. We're not gonna, we're not gonna move a lot. Um, there you go. Well, we're glad that you brought your boat. Yeah, you can just move the desks in. Uh, well, I have to say, this is one of those things where you know this is the last class session of the week. So you guys have probably got you know brains and spirits that are exploding, and we've still got a little bit more to go. So. We just want to say thank you very much for coming to our class during the uh, last class session. I'm Don. This is my wife, Corey, and she's going to share a, a little bit um, with you about who we are and why we're talking about what we're talking about today. Okay. So Don and I have been married for 26 years this uh, summer coming up, and we have three children. Our oldest uh, just finished his second year of college, and then our middle child, our daughter, she's finishing up high school shortly, and then our youngest is uh, 12, uh, our second son is uh, 12 years old. Um, so we've lived and worked in the Niagara region of Ontario, Canada for the last 22 years. And like all marriage relationships, we have enjoyed some uh, high points and uh, also had some low points that we have not enjoyed as much, but we feel like we've learned uh, from those experiences over the years and hopefully we're going to continue to be able to uh, grow and, uh, and you know, that will help us in the future with other challenges. So um, now in the last decade, uh, particularly, our relationship has entered a different chapter marked by significant and intentional self-understanding spiritual reflection and marital growth which is to say that we are discovering there is so much more for us to learn uh, in the last few years though we rediscovered something that we almost lost in the crazy busy lives that many of us in marriage experience for us like so many we are juggling all the demands uh, of three grown children who are involved in church and school and extracurricular activities and as a senior administrator at a small Christian school, Don's job requires an extraordinary commitment that makes it difficult to be present. And sometimes even when he is present, he's not present. If you know what <laughs> uh, in addition, I started and have built my own business, which as it has grown, uh, continues to demand more of my time. So like so many families in our modern day, time is a precious commodity. And we've been able to settle into patterns, accepting and working with periods of extreme busyness offset by periods of focused time together. A couple of patterns emerged for us though. Each of us were often spending time with each of our children or with our children uh, all together. Um, however, time with all of us together, you know, both us parents and the kids was infrequent. Um, and also quality time with only each other was, was even less so. So a real rich blessing came about uh, 10 years ago when I got invited to come to the Pepperdine Bible Lectures for the first time. And I had this opportunity not just to teach, but for me, a lot of people ask, you know, we, we don't understand our geography. So we're from Eastern Canada and not from Western Canada, although it's nice to have some representation from Western Canada here. And actually, that's one of the greatest blessings of the lectureships for me because uh, over the years, I haven't had a lot of interaction or been able to make a lot of uh, connections with churches in Western Canada. 
And being an administrator, the former president of Great Lakes Bible College in Ontario, and now uh, the chief administrator of Great Lakes Christian High School, we also got invited to join with our sister school that was in Regina, Saskatchewan, Western Christian College to host an annual reception. And I've had the opportunity to do that for the last nine years. Um, and that's been a rich blessing. Sadly, uh, seven years ago this year, I think it's seven, uh, Western, Western has been closed, and now we're the only school affiliated with Churches of Christ still in Canada. And so that's been a significant challenge. But I've been able to grow friendships and make connections uh, with people in the church throughout our country as opposed to just a little area that we've served in Eastern Canada. So I came home and said to Corey, this is a wonderful opportunity because the school sees the value in me being here as an administrator and making these connections with people in the church from across the country, and I get an opportunity to teach. Isn't that great? She said, so what you're saying is you're going to California. I said, yes, I am. And she said, well, you're not going to California without me. <laughs> so I had an idea that kind of came out of that, and for the last 10 years, it's made a significant positive impact on our married life. Yeah, so the timing of the trip, um, May and June in uh, you know, education are really demanding. Um, and so the timing of the trip he thought could be extended to include an annual marital retreat. So for 10 years now, we've treated uh, both the quiet time that we spend before the lectures, mostly hiking in California's national parks, and our time here at Pepperdine uh, as, a, as a marital retreat. So a couple of years ago, after a tiring day of hiking in Joshua Tree National Park, I looked over at him and uh, I realized something that I had not been conscious of for a long time, and that was, I liked being with him. <laughs> and I said out loud, I like being with you. And he looked at me and said he liked being with me. And it sounded funny. Why did this feel like a revelation? Why was it important? Was it important? And this extended to the realization that we don't just love each other, we like each other. Or rather, we still like each other. And this felt important, hence the inspiration for our class. So uh, before we kind of get into um some things we'd like to talk about in terms of why we think friendship is so important to a godly marriage. Uh, I have a question for you. If we were to ask, I don't know how many of you are married, but in general terms, if you ask people who are married, no matter how long, why did you get married? What do you think people would say? Why? Love. Love invariably is going to be the number one answer. So this uh, research, the slide that I'm showing you is a Pew uh, research that was conducted in 2013 and so it was a fairly wide cross-section. People had been married not long, people have been married a long time, but the idea was is why did you get married? And overwhelmingly love, 88% of respondents identified that, which I think most of us are not surprised by. But what comes in after that? Compatibility. Sorry? Compatibility. Compatibility. Okay. Anyone else? Wanting children. For a second, I feel like I'm on, uh, what is it? Uh, family. family Feud, yeah, right. <laughs> survey says. Okay. Uh, the second reason most people said was making a lifelong commitment. So uh, that whole idea of, of making commitment and what that signifies if you get married. The third reason, not far behind that, is companionship. And then after that, there are several other reasons, but you can see how they significantly drop off. So you look at these top three. Love, not a surprise. Um, love gets all the attention. 
when it comes to marriage, whether it's viewed from a secular or a humanist or a spiritual perspective, love is always what we talk about. And of course, we recognize if we've been uh, part of a church that love is not all the same. And so that's what we want to talk a little bit about today as well. But biblically, love in marriage is all over the place. I mean, if you're married, no matter how long, nobody questions that at least at some point, love played some role. The question is this. Few of us who are married would say that we didn't love each other at some point. I mean, our prayer is, is that continues, but we all know that's not true. The question is not do you love your spouse, or, or if you do love your spouse, do you like your spouse? And then this raises another question. Can you love someone without liking them? Okay, I, and I knew this, you know, all of us immediately when you say that, oh, there are people I love in my family that I don't like very much. Um, it is absolutely true. You can love without liking, you can like without loving, um, but is it important that both of those come together in a marriage relationship? And so we want to move past this idea of, of just loving, and we want to talk about why, without thinking about it, companionship is very high on this list. Companionship is something different than loving, and so what is the difference, and, and why is it important, and how important is it? So I have another question. If I were to ask you who your BFF is, right? For those of us a little older, that's your best friend forever. <coughs> Usually it's our teenage daughters that talk about BFFs. But when I ask that question, who's your BFF and you're married, does your spouse come to mind? For some of us it will, for some of us it won't. Now some of you are going, well, I'm not moving my head at all because I'm in a class where you're talking about friendship <laughs> and I know you want me to say that my BFF is my spouse. And, and that may or may not be true. But what I want to talk about is, is, should it be, and is it important? And so I think um, when we see people sometimes, and they introduce, well, just a few nights ago, right at the opening of the, of the lectures, when uh, the future president of, of Pepperdine, uh, Jim Dash, introduced his wife, Jolene, did you catch that in his introduction, he talked about her as being his best friend? And most of us would go, well, that's a beautiful thing. And the question is this, though, should your spouse be your best friend. Why or why not? That's a rhetorical question because we're going to try and answer it. <laughs> okay, so consider UrbanDictionary.com's definition of a best friend. They are the first people you think about when you make plans. They are the first people you go to when you need someone to talk to. You will phone them up just to talk about nothing or the most important things in your life. When you're sad, they will try their hardest to cheer you up. They give the best hugs in the world. They are the shoulder to cry on because you know that they truly care about you. In most cases, they would take a bullet for you because it would be too painful to watch you get hurt. So when you hear that read out, I think it's possible for us to think of relationships outside of the context of marriage. But I want you to think about what that dictionary definition said, urban dictionary, so a little bit more uh, granular. But the idea is, is I would hope in my relationship that that did describe my wife. And... And, and, I would, and I'm thinking about this idea of, of what it means to be a best friend. Now, I'm going to tell you something right now. I think a lot of times we take this for granted, this idea of being your spouse's best friend. But there are a lot of detractors. In fact, just take a little bit of time and go online, and you will find dozens and dozens 
of articles that say things like, your wife is not your best friend and thinking she is will kill your marriage. Or, while I don't discount that there should be friendships between husband and wife, having him or her as your best friend will be the death nail in your marriage. Our marriage is stronger because my husband isn't my best friend and why your spouse should not be your best friend. And this is just, just a random sampling. Now, it's interesting because I'm not being fair to the writers of these articles. And I did read all of these. Their titles are not quite accurate. I think what their titles are saying, and if you get into the articles, what you're seeing is, is in fact, they might actually agree with some biblical principles that we're going to talk about a little bit later. What they're saying is, if your spouse is just your best friend, that's a problem. Here's the amazing thing about marriage. It is the most complex human relationship any of us will ever engage in. And I don't know that we ever really think about the complexity of what that looks like. So to get a picture, let's consider something by C.S. Lewis. So how many of you know the top four loves that C.S. Lewis infamously chronicled in his books? The four loves. Agape? Filial? Eros? Storge. Yeah. Okay, yeah. So agape gets most of the attention, and for good reason. This is the love in God is love, the sacrificial, active love we are all called to manifest, particularly in marriage. It is the love of commitment. It is this love we are identifying when we say in marriage, I love you. Eros. So it's a Greek word, but even though it's a Greek word, go read the Song of Solomon, because it's all over that book. In fact, I don't know how long ago it's been since you read it, but when you do read it, especially in one sitting, you should blush once or twice. It is all over that book. We have to be careful with this one because we often confuse it with lust and sex. And unfortunately, they're not the same thing. This is passion. This is something that causes you to want to be intimate with the person that you love. We know that our world has a good handle on sexual relationships that have no love in them, that have no passion in them. And that's a sad thing. And unfortunately, it sometimes becomes true in our marriage relationships. But it is this love that we are identifying when we say in marriage, I enjoy you. And in particular, we don't capture it there, but I, I want to touch you. I want to be intimate with you. Okay, so storge is the little discussed, little understood love often tied to a parent's natural love for a child. It operates on an instinctual level. It is not tender per se, but protective, because this child is a part of me. But this love exists in marriage too. When two become one, this love should kick in. My spouse is a part of me, and I am a part of my spouse. As such, my instinct to protect a child should extend in the same instinct for my spouse without thought. And it does as long as we are truly family. It is this love we are identifying when we say in marriage, I will protect you. It, it's funny, when we were writing this little part here and we were talking about it, you know, in my mind I'm going, if there's a threat, I would, I would jump in front of my children and I would jump in front of my wife. And then I was thinking my wife would jump in front of our children. Anyway. <laughs> I was hopeful that she'd jump in front of her husband. Um, and of course, Philia. Or, or philia, as, as uh, C.S. Lewis says. But in, and we all know it's the brotherly law. That's why it's Philadelphia. This is the love of companionship. This is the love of friendship. This is the love that we're going to focus on. 
But I want to just put up this graphic for you that, uh, that I think is marvelous because it shows all four of these loves interacting. And what is amazing to me is you ask yourself, there's no other relationship other than marriage that manifests all four of these loves. There's no other relationship. And, and so you recognize that these detractors going all the way back who are saying, you know, if your spouse is your best friend, that's the death nail to your marriage. Well, it's true if that's the only love you have for each other. So you can have a, a deep friend. So here we see where agape and philia overlap. You can have a lifelong friend who's not your marriage partner, right? Um, but it's very different if you have eros and, and philia or storge and agape. And, but the idea is, I always think of this like a chair, right? And you take one of those legs out and the chair crumbles. And so the idea is, is we spend an inordinate amount of time, for good reason, talking about agape love. Because like we said, that's the sacrificial, committed love that God is. And we need to manifest that, particularly in a Christian relationship. However, it's not alone. And that's where we want to talk about filio, filia love in terms of our marriage relationship. We don't want it just to be that, but that's what we're going to focus on for the next little bit. So I want to share something with you. Uh, I don't know how many of you have ever heard of Dr. John or Julie Schwartz uh, Gottman. They started the Gottman Institute uh, several years ago. Uh, they wrote a book, or, well, John Gottman did with Nan Silver called The Seven Principles of, for Making Marriage Work. It's a, it's a secular but um, seminal writing that explores this whole idea of the relationship between friendship and marriage. And so there's some pretty phenomenal um, findings uh, that, that they have discovered that we want to share with you. Before I, I do go into that, actually, I, I just missed a point. I got to back up and make sure I make it. Here's the idea. If marriage has all four loves, consider what happens. I'm going to go back one graphic. Consider what happens when one of these loves just isn't functioning for some reason. And we all know this to be true. In every love relationship, marriage or otherwise, love comes and goes. Things happen that cause us um, to ebb and flow. And sometimes when one love cools, imagine this. If you've got all four, then the, the likelihood of that relationship crumbling is much less likely than if we only have one. So if Philly is the only relationship that I have and I fall out of that love, then that relationship is over. But here's the idea. We, we recognize eros. We recognize agape. I mean, these, agape is exhausting emotionally, right? So it, it, it ebbs and flows. And sometimes it might be the filial love that allows us to get through these periods where we feel like we're in a drought till we can get back to a place where we can rekindle or reignite. And that's a foundational love that philia provides us sometimes when eros, eros cools or agape is challenged. And so with this in mind, come back to the Gottmans, a very interesting 40 years of research, and this was one of their findings. This is a quote from the book, Seven Principles for Making Marriage Work. He says this, the determining factor in whether wives feel satisfied with the sex, the romance, and the passion in marriage is by 70% the quality of the couple's friendship. And then he says, for men, the determining factor by 70%, the same amount of the quality of the couple is friendship. 
Happy marriages are based on a deep friendship. By this I mean a mutual respect for and enjoyment of each other's company. These couples tend to know each other intimately. <clears throat> they are well versed in each other's likes, dislikes, personality quirks, hopes, and dreams. They have an abiding regard for each other and express this fondness, not just in the big ways, but in the little ways, day in and day out. Friendship fuels the flames of romance because it offers the best protection against feeling adversarial towards your spouse. That's from page 19 and 20 of the Gottman book. Um, Focus on the Family has a series of online articles on marriage, sex, and intimacy. One article entitled The Role of Friendship in Marriage, My Best Friend, My Spouse, was written by Bill Hanewalt, executive pastor of the Vineyard Christian Church on Evanston, Illinois, and a premarital and marital counselor for 30 years. In the article, he states, marriage without friendship cannot work in our culture. Friendship has to be nourished and nurtured regularly, or it faces the danger of becoming a business relationship. Couples that don't give attention to developing their friendship often come apart. For us over the years, a book that was recommended to us uh, quite a while ago, at least 10 years ago, and that we can't help but keep coming back to is The Meaning of Marriage uh, by Timothy Keller and his wife, uh, uh, Kelly, or Kathy. And in this, he makes this statement, your spouse has got to be your best friend or be on the way to becoming your best friend or you will not have a strong, rich marriage that endures and that makes you both vastly better persons for having uh, been it. Okay, so, you know, here are some experts. That's great. It's all well and good. There are a lot of people out there who claim to know or understand uh, relationships. So if, if marriage is only friendship, if it is only friendship, then all those detractors that talk about not being the best friend to your spouse are absolutely right because marriage is so much more than just being friends. And here's the idea. It is completely possible to be friends and not be married. Of course we know that. And it is possible to be married and not be friends. But that's not desirable. And I don't believe that that is what God had in mind when he enabled us to be able to have this very special of relationships in our world. And so we recognize that it is the constancy of realizing and recognizing and cultivating the liking of each other that can carry us through sometimes when passion needs to be reignited or love needs to burn again. And, and that is why we think it is vital. But we think it is. That's been our experience. We have some experts who say the same thing. My question is, if it really is that fundamental, can we see any evidence of this in God's word? Now, just out of the box, do you see any evidence of this in God's word? Can any of you think of something, a passage, a verse, a line, a relationship? You didn't know you were going to be tested today. Oh, don't worry. We're going to give you the scriptures that we think have to be applied. Did you have them? Boaz and Ruth. Actually, you know what's really interesting? You, you use not even that relationship, but... I think a lot of times you can see that the relationship between friends who are not necessarily married still have value in married relationships. And, and we can look at a lot of married couples and infer from the way that they relate and respect each other that they have friendship. But we're going to look at a few verses that specifically lend this idea that companionship is an integral part to a marriage relationship. So let's start at the beginning. Genesis 2, Genesis 2, 18. 18. 
It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. What was not good? Being alone. Human beings, whether male or female, are in need of companionship. In this verse, it is Adam who is all alone and very much in need of a companion. The Lord graciously meets this need for him. Companionship. Here is that word again. Of course, though, this is the Old Testament, so no Greek word filio here. There are two words here, helper or aidser, and suitable or konegdo. The easier of these two words is aidser. We see it several times in the Old Testament, most often in relation to seeking God's help in overcoming enemies. Eve, it seems, played an essential role within her sacred partnership with Adam. Adam needed her help. The more difficult word to define is konegdo. Most modern English translations define it as suitable, but older English translations define it as meet, as in meeting a need. This is where we get the term help meet. Adam needs help and Eve can meet that need. But let's go a bit further. Scholars state that the most accurate translation of konegdo is as in front of him. Eve stands in front of Adam, facing him, but is designed to work harmoniously with him. She works as his strength, aid, and balance. She will be his strongest ally in pursuing God's purposes and his first roadblock when he veers off course. In short, Eve is a true companion, one who will walk alongside Adam, spending time with him and moving forward harmoniously to achieve what it is God calls on them to do. Companionship is not just about eliminating loneliness, but to encourage the other by helping the other achieve what the other needs to do. And we're going to come back because that does raise a question. In marriage, are we called to achieve something for God? And we think we are, but that'll come a little bit later. Let's jump ahead to Proverbs. In Proverbs 2, verses 16 through 17, it says, Wisdom will save you also from the adulterous woman, from the wayward woman with her seductive words, who left the partner of her youth and ignored the covenant that she made before God. And so here we look at this word aleph, and, or, or almost aluf is the way it's pronounced. And what we see in that word that's translated in the NIV as partner in the English Standard Version as companion is an intimate friend. That's what that word brings up. So the idea is the adulterous woman has left her intimate friend. So that's the kind of relationship, at least early, that they had and obviously didn't maintain. Also in Proverbs 18 and 24, this will be the one where I throw it up here and you go, wait a second, I don't see marriage anywhere in this verse. A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. Well, that describes friendship in general. Can you guess at all what relationship this might have to being married? I'll give you one clue. The key word is sticks. Again, you have to look at the Hebrew. Now, first of all, I gotta say this. We are not Hebrew experts. So we're really counting on the scholars on this one. So if anyone has deeper knowledge of it, but we did do our research. The same root word that is used in this verse for sticks is also used back in Genesis 2.24, where it says, not the word sticky, but the word cleave. So, for this cause, a man shall leave his father and his mother and shall cleave to his wife. So I don't know if you've heard, because this is one of those buzzwords too, how to be a sticky friend. 
Um, and, and that's where it comes from, is from this proverb, how to be a sticky friend, someone who, is, who will stick with you through thick and thin, through good and bad. It's interesting that the same root word in Hebrew is used in cleaving. Now, that verse does distinguish the difference between just being a sticky friend and being a spouse, because it's only in the marriage relationship that the next part, which I didn't read, is two will become one. But I think it's interesting that this idea of sticking paves the road to the permanence of two being one. It plays a role. So just as we're called to be sticky friends in terms of relationship with friends that are outside of the marriage relationship, cleaving or sticking to our wife paves a way to being, well for me, my wife, her husband, to becoming one, which is a permanent relationship. Ecclesiastes 9, 7 to 8. Enjoy life with your wife, whom you love, all the days of this meaningless life that God has given you under the sun, all your meaningless days. In the face of Hevel, that which is like mist or smoke and thus meaningless in this world, it is interesting that the writer here says that there is joy to be found in living life with a wife. Who knew? <laughs> it is in friendship especially in the face of sadness or purposelessness that we find respite and can experience joy. I don't know if uh, any of you, uh, are there any Hebrew scholars in the room? No? So here, here's the Hebrew for probably one of the most famous verses or well-known verses in the Bible that talk about the idea of spouses not just being lovers but being friends. And this comes from the Song of Solomon. And the statement is, this is my beloved, this is my friend. And it's easily overlooked because, again, when we read the Song of Solomon, it talks about passion. It talks about intimacy. And we miss the fact that they're not just lovers, but that they are friends. And a little later on, when we get to some practical ideas to help cultivate friendship in your marriage, we'll talk a little bit of, more about this idea. I think we often miss, we, we, we kind of, because we're embarrassed maybe by it a little bit or, or surprised by the candor that happens in that book with all that touching and intimacy that's going on, that there's a lot of talking. That Solomon talks in very um, expressive ways to his lover and that she loves the sweetness of his voice. And actually that's how this verse starts if we went back uh, to the line before this. Titus 2, 3-4. Teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanderers or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. Then they can urge the younger women to love their husbands and children. The assumption might be that love here is agape, but it is filial, <coughs> friendship love. While agape love is used in passages like Ephesians 5 with relation to marriage, here it is filial. Women are to be friends and friendly with their husbands. I think it is clear that there is a biblical precedent for the role of friendship in marriage. But before we jump into some practical ways of cultivating friendship in marriage, there is a further expression of friendship we feel we need to explore first. You do not need to be a Christian to be friends. We all know that to be true. Within the context of being Christ followers, though, it is important to note the cultivation not just of friendship, but spiritual friendship. Writer Dr. Norman Wise of the Living Water Christian Counseling Center notes, Christian couples must never forget that their most basic and eternal relationship 
is not in their marriage, but in a God-ordained spiritual friendship in which they have been chosen by God to be the smallest church and have the most intimate Christian fellowship possible. They must define their relationship as first in Christ, as disciples involved in a spiritual friendship of sharing, serving, loving, and caring for each other for the sake of Christ. So this becomes a question. It complicates family relationships, doesn't it? Uh, I've been blessed to have the opportunity to baptize both of my sons into Christ. And, you know, for me to contemplate the idea that my son is my son physically, but is my brother in Christ, it's hard to wrap your mind around that. But I think we often, we, we can deal with that easier than, do I see my spouse as a fellow disciple, as a sister in Christ, in addition to being my wife? And, and I don't think we, we consciously or intentionally ever think about that. Can others, in seeing the way that we relate one to another, not just our children, but everyone, see the love of Christ in the way in which we love each other and act together? And that only comes from cultivating a spiritual friendship. And that brings me to Augustine. <laughs> I, 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 you, know, you make a statement, you end it, you said, well, that sounds good, now I'll just be quiet. Oh, I have to keep going. <laughs> Augustine, this is not a new idea. So Augustine, when he was writing his confessions, he wrote this. You only love your friend truly when you love God in your friend, either because God is in your friend, but we all have friends where God isn't, so he says, or in order that he might be in him. That is true love. There is no friendship unless you weld it between souls that cling together by the charity that is poured forth in their hearts by the Holy Spirit. And Augustine is in, in, in good company. Uh, hundreds of years later, C.S. Lewis wrote that two people discover true friendship when they see the same truth. And Tim Keller quotes this quote in his book, Meaning in Marriage, but he, he explores that a little bit farther. He says that an important necessity in cultivating spiritual friendship between a husband and a wife means to have sympathy. But he breaks it down into those two words, sympathos, which literally means common passion. Are we passionate about Christ and following and serving him? Because if we both are, have you ever, you've seen the triangle, right? God's at the top, husband's here, wife is there. And as long as we are both moving toward God, we are moving closer to each other. And that's the idea and the sentiment that comes in to this. Uh, he takes it a little bit further and he says, Keller does, do you love me should mean the same thing as do you see the same truth or do you care about the same truth? So in response to these thoughts, he says, while erotic love can be depicted as two people looking at one another, friendship can be depicted as two people standing side by side, looking at the same object and being stirred and entranced by it together. So as Christians, we already share a common truth that can draw us together in meaningful, deep relationships, love of Christ. As a spouse, what does that mean? It can form the basis of something that can uh, enable us to journey towards something that Christ is seeking to achieve in each of us, not just as individuals, but as a couple. So there's this beautiful image that he gives. He says it's kind of like walking up on a mountain. And you know there are lots of reasons why we do this. But a lot of times, 
we walk up to a mountain so we can look at the beauty of the valley below. So one of our favorite experiences that we ever shared uh, was eight years ago, we went to Giant Sequoia National Park. And here's what's, Ontario was three hours behind. And so, uh, oh no, three hours ahead. This is amazing because we're, we're in this, we're up in the mountains and we wake up at like five o'clock in the morning and we're like, wow, this is amazing. I didn't know I could get up this early. Of course, our bodies think it's eight o'clock in the morning. But what's neat about that is we both got up, we left the hotel and nobody's out. The world is quiet. And we go up this trail and, and you know, a deer walks out in front of us and for all the hunters, I tell the story at home, you know, and the hunters are like, oh, that's, that's awesome. You know, for us, we're just like, oh, it's a deer, it's beautiful. Um, we don't want to kill you. Anyway, we walk up the path and we watch the sunrise over the Sierra Nevada. And it was one of the most spiritual experiences we've ever shared. It was one of the places I say, for me personally, that I most keenly felt the presence of God in the presence of my wife to share in that experience. But here's what Tim Keller says. I don't know how many of you have ever been to Yosemite. It's great if it's a beautiful day. But how often do you come through that tunnel view and you can't see anything because it's all fog? And you're disappointed because you want the beautiful view. You want the picture that everyone takes. And Tim Keller says, it's like getting to that place where the view is and you're disappointed because the fog is covering everything. But for just a second, the fog clears and you catch this glimpse of this breathtaking beauty. And then the fog settles back in. And he says, that's what it's like to be in a marriage relationship and catch a glimpse of what God is trying to do for us and in us and through us. It's to catch a glimpse of where we're going. And then the question is, what are we going to do to help us get there? So to quote Keller, within this Christian vision of marriage, here's what it means to fall in love. It is to look at another person and get a glimpse of what God is creating and to say, I see who God is making you and it excites me. I want to be a part of that. I want to partner with you and God in the journey you are taking to his throne. And when we get there, I will look at your magnificence and say, I always knew you could be like this. I got glimpses of it on earth, but now look at you. That's from page 121 in uh, his book there. Uh, what this approach does is it forces us to see our partner's deep flaws and weaknesses and dependencies yet know that we are moving together towards something flawless and radiant. For Keller, spiritual friendship is wanting to help your spouse become the person God wants them to be. I can't think of a more noble purpose in friendship than to help each other become the person God wants us to be. Um, we want to conclude, and there may be some time for some questions, but I think always when you come into these sessions, you're looking for something a little more practical. And so at the end, we're going to throw some things together first uh, that we glean from what we read and then from our personal experience in terms of helping cultivate or rekindle friendship in our marriage relationship. But there's three things. All of these people that we talked about today, they identified three key things that we have to cover off first, some general principles. The first one is constancy. So when you look at, at Proverbs 17 and 17, and it talks about that quality of a friend. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for a time of adversity. The idea here is, th this is the statement that we make when we get married, we say for richer, for poorer, right? In sickness and in health, in the good times and in the bad times. And so these principles are all over the Bible for friendship in general, and of course they apply in our marriage. 
How are we going to carry each other's burdens? Um, how are we going to help each other get through difficulty? How are we going to build each other up? And so constancy is that idea that no matter what happens, I know I can depend on you. That is critical to any friendship. Those are the people we keep going back to because we know they're the ones we can depend upon. Second general principle, of course, is communication. You know, you do all the studies and a lot of, almost invariably, the number one reason that relationship doesn't last is because there's some kind of breakdown in communication. And so that becomes absolutely um, important to any kind of, of friendship cultivation. Um, there are two verses here I might use. This comes back to what I already referenced before. In the Song of Solomon 2 and 14, it says, let me see your countenance, let me hear your voice. For your voice is sweet and your countenance is lovely. The idea of this is not just a physical relationship, that there is an exchange, that we are talking one to the other. And if you don't think that's an important quality, think about John 15 and 15. This is where Jesus is speaking to his disciples. And what he says to them is he says, I no longer call you servants because a servant doesn't know his master's business. Instead, I call you friends. For everything that I have learned from my father, I have made known to you. He called his disciples friends, and a mark of that friendship was that he made known to them. Um, what I think is really important here is this idea of getting to know your spouse. Now, we've been married 26 years. I look around the room. Some of you have probably been married longer than we have. Some of you have been married younger than or for less time. Some of you may not be married. But the idea here is, is we fool ourselves sometimes into thinking that we ever fully understand the other. Um, now, we definitely get to know each other better the longer that we're together. But this idea of stopping to understand what's going on in your spouse's mind, experience, and life can never end. So one of the things that they suggest uh, uh, in, in the Gottman Institute is this idea of, you know, a lot of times we ask these really shallow questions like, how was your day? And what kind of response do you get for that? It was good or it was bad? Now, do we follow that up? <laughs> Especially if you say it was bad. It's like, oh, okay, well, all right, you go do your thing, I'll go do mine. Um, it's these deep-ended questions that go, oh, well, if it was bad, so, and, and I get this. In marriage, sometimes, you know, we need, we need time to synthesize and process for ourselves. But if we always do that, it's, it's going to break down. The idea is we have to get to a place where we have enough trust in our marital relationship that we'll talk about good and bad. But we can't do that sometimes. Sometimes we need the prompting of our spouse to ask open-ended questions that go beyond one-word answers because that's real communication. And we're afraid of that sometimes. A Couple of other points here. Um, years ago in His Needs, Her Needs, uh, um, what is it, Harley Willard, is that his, uh, I can't remember his name. He, uh, okay, we'll look it up, His Needs, Her Needs. But there was one little piece in that whole uh, series, and, and it's still online, you can go visit His Needs, Her Needs. And, and he had this little item called the theory of reintroduction, which has always fascinated me. I always share this story when I'm counseling, uh, doing premarital counseling. And it's this thing. We all change in very little ways every single day. Everything that happens, every interaction that we have changes us in a small way. But here's the thing. You know, you hear these stories of people who say, I woke up one day and I, I didn't know this person anymore. I woke up one day and I fell out of love. That doesn't happen unless there's a serious mental health problem. And that's possible, but that's going to be statistically low. That's been happening for a while. It's just you suddenly realized it. And what's happened is your spouse has changed over time. But because you're disconnected, 
you haven't realized it. It's kind of like when you see someone with kids and you go away and you come back and they're like, these are the same human beings. <laughs> you know, they look so different. They're radically different, the way they act, the way they look. And that can happen in a marital relationship. And so he, he has this thing where he goes, it doesn't have to be every day, but it needs to be every week that you practice the theory of reintroduction, talking about what, what's affected me this week. What potentially has changed me this week? What has changed the way I might think? What has changed the way I might feel? And, and if you're doing that on a regular basis, then you're changing, but you're changing together. And you're never waking up beside someone that you suddenly don't love or don't know. I love that principle. Um, this one is one that, that we do all the time. We've got to tell stories. Now, when you say, what do you mean stories? Like fairy tales? No, tell our stories. Go back and revisit experiences that we've had together. Go back and revisit things that had happened to us outside of our marriage relationship. Um, and, and we always think, again, oh, we've been together. I, I tell a lot of stories, more than Corey tells. And, but every once in a while, she goes, oh, I never heard that one before. <laughs> I, I thought I heard all your stories. But, but here's the thing. The more that we retell our own story, how did you meet? How did we meet? Or, you know, we've been able to do this for 10 years, coming to Pepperdine. And so when we come, we go, remember that first year, 10 years ago? Actually, one of the neatest experiences this year, we went to San Francisco 10 years ago during our first visit. Never been to the city before. Had a few days there before we came down to Pepperdine. We went back this year, not to San Francisco, but across the Golden Gate Bridge because I wanted to go to Muir Woods. But at the end of it, we, we stopped at Cliff House for breakfast, which is something that we did 10 years ago. And then we talked about, you know, how were we different then? Remember when we did this? Remember when we saw that? It's in the engaging of those stories that it becomes our story. And when we tell our story, even if it's just between the two of us, it deepens our communication and relationship. The, the third general principle, we have to be transparent. We've got to get to a place where we can trust. And when trust is lost, it is hard to get back. And we know that. And that's something that we have to persevere through. But you know, Proverbs 27, 5 and 6 says, better is open rebuke than hidden love. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiply kisses. Here's the idea. This is the hard part in marriage. This is going to surprise you. I do things that my wife doesn't like. <laughs> and sometimes they're really meaningless and they're not worth it, but sometimes she needs to call me out on it. And I'm going to surprise you again. When I get called out on it, I don't always respond well. But if it is offered in the spirit of love and friendship, even though it's difficult for a short period of time, it will do nothing but deepen that love and friendship in the long term. And so we have to be willing to be vulnerable with our spouse. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stereotype, and I know I am a little bit, but I think this is often more difficult for men than women. We have to, because I don't want to be seen as weak in the eyes of my wife. But if I am challenged, if I am hurting, do I trust and love my wife enough to let her in to help meet me in that place? Because if I don't, that is going to be problematic. I shouldn't be wrestling with this alone. That's why we're walking together in this relationship. And so we need to confess to each other. We need to talk about the good and the bad. We need to be willing to take responsibility when we are wrong. That's hard. And we need to be committed to forgiving and reconciling. Don't go to sleep angry is a good mantra and a biblical statement.
Okay, so some practical ways to rekindle and deepen your marital friendship. Make proximity a priority. Proverbs 27.10. Better is a neighbor, or in some translations, friend, who is near than a brother who is far away. So spend time together more often than you spend apart. And not necessarily even focused on the same activity, just even in each other's presence, shoulder to shoulder. Um, so sometimes that might just be, you know, sitting on the couch watching TV together, or uh, it could be gardening outside in, in the backyard. Um, or a lot of times, you know, I'll say, come to Costco with me, I don't want to go by myself, you know, and you're doing a task that needs to be done, but you're... You're doing it together. Whereas there are times where, you know, we could divide and conquer and I'll go get the groceries, you get this done at home, but we just, to be able to spend that time together, to be together. Um, so shoulder to shoulder, face to face, and knee to knee. Um, number two, engage in mutual activities. So do something together. So for example, Don has brought up hiking many times. He loves hiking. I like hiking, so I will do it with him. And he is learning my limits that I, you know, don't have quite the stamina that, that he does. But we, that, that is something that we will enjoy doing together. Two um, years ago, we went to Pinnacles. Yeah. And we thought, oh, I, in my mind, I'm going, oh, we'll just hike around the whole park. That'll be great. That's 22 kilometers. What's that a mile? So I don't know. It's 11 miles, 10, 12 miles, something like that. Um, you know, uh, it, it, you know, and I and I just kept saying because I didn't want to admit to her because at some point, you know, we was all happy. We had lunch together. The sun was shining. And she's like, "How much more do we have to go?" Oh, it's just a little more. Um, yeah, she didn't speak to me that night. <laughs> and so then I realized, I oh, you know what? Um, I can never do that again. I was crying. <laughs> I was crying uh, the last, what, couple, yeah. couple miles? Probably. Yes, you were. Yeah. Yes. yes. <laughs> so this year, we went to Muir Woods and we spent two hours. And then, although I could have kept going, we left and did something together that wasn't hiking. <laughs> <laughs> so another example of that is we both really enjoy live music. So we've gone to some concerts together. We'll do, you know, something fun, that sort of uh, thing. Many years ago, we, we painted a nativity scene together. Um, Little figurines. Yeah. And uh, I'll try to rope him into walking the dog with me sometimes as well. As, uh, <laughs> uh, explore each other's interests. So you can share in some of your spouse's joy in those things. So, um, you know, it might not be something that you particularly enjoy, but you know that it's something that is of interest to your spouse. Like, like one of the things, we, we have very different interests actually in music, like the kind of music that we listen to. Um, but uh, I will often send links to Corey of artists that I know are in the vein of music, and, and sometimes I will actually seek them out to recommend someone new that I wouldn't casually listen to at any time, but I know that that's her interest. On the flip side, Corey is always sending me links to articles that she sees that she knows are of interest to me. And one of those was, I'm a former English teacher. I taught English at the high school level for nine years, and, and my degrees are in English literature. And one of the things I've never done and always wanted to do is to become part of a book club. And, and in recent years, I've been so busy I couldn't. I just didn't have the capacity. But my job has changed in the last year. So she, she said, hey, there's a new, she sent me this link. We didn't even talk about it. She just sent the link. I think you might like this. 
It's a book club. It's starting in town. It's by the public library. You should go. Um, and I was like, uh, uh, uh. I, I got the book. I went. Oh, my goodness. It was so awesome. Anyway, <laughs> I, but, but these are the kind. You know what? I haven't seen She's not interested in doing that, but she knew my interest. She sent it, and, and I went. Well, and he... It was just crazy how happy it made him. And, and, but that was good for me to see him so happy about something and enjoying something, you know? So, uh, date night, variations. So time away, <clears throat> away, like when we come here, and, uh, and alone. Um, but not necessarily, you know, the big go away things. Um, sometimes it's a matter for us, we, like our evenings are pretty hectic right now. I work two evenings a week, our kids with extracurriculars. So what we've made a point of doing is, uh, because we work close together, is once a week we'll try to just meet for lunch. So it might be half an hour, 45 minutes. It's not a long time, but it's a time that we can intentionally connect uh, with each other. And it's just something that's, that's worked with us. There's a reason we put date night in quotes. <laughs> Particularly when you have young children, or you're new in your relationship, you're just like, I, don't, I, can't, I can't leave our kids for two hours, right? And we get in our head, I don't have time for a full date, and so instead we just don't spend any time alone at all. But it's not the quantity of time, it's the quality. And so what's really important is finding time every single week, no matter what part or station of life that you were in as a couple, and protecting it. So like Corey said, when we, when we get together for lunch, we don't have a two hours, let's just enjoy and talk about life. It's usually 30 minutes or 45. Um, or it's, we're going to go to Costco together while somebody watches the kids, because in that 25 minutes or 45 minutes, at least we can talk about some things and be separated by ourselves in that context. So we go, date night is too big, so we don't do anything. Protect time alone throughout your relationship, even if it's short. That's the important principle. So Corey's grandmother always had this um, slogan that she used to us, and it was? Half a loaf is better than none. <laughs> there you go, write that one down. Yeah, half a loaf a is better than half none. Half a loaf is better than We say that none. all the time. <laughs> I only have 10 minutes. Well, half a loaf is better than none. <laughs> okay, so develop traditions and rituals. Um, so one that we uh, were reflecting on is whenever we've uh, been coming here to uh, the lectures and then enjoying our time ahead of time, Don has taken the time to uh, make a playlist. That's the, the Cali, the Cali mix. And so usually he'll sort of seek, well, as he said, he'll seek out songs that he knows that I will enjoy. Um, often they're songs that have been popular that year. So now we have this collection of, I think, 10 years of, of, Cali, mix, of Cali, 2019. Mix, you know? Cali Mix 2018. And yeah. when you listen to it outside of the context, where does it take us? It yeah, takes us right. back to yeah. the fun that we were doing yes. when we first heard that. Yes. Um, and so, and I usually, he makes it ahead of time, so I don't hear it until we're actually here. She doesn't even know. So I don't even know. And then say, oh, that song, I like that song. You know, that's kind of fun. And then the other one that's kind of funny is we, um, we, I, for snacks in the car. Um, only in California. Only in California. We, we buy the pistachios and then... Has to know, be roasted, salted, and pepper. Salt and pepper. <laughs> salted. He's a little more sticky on the exact details of what kind of has to be. But. but here's what's funny. You know we can buy pistachios anytime. Yeah. But we don't. We save it for... We only buy them when we're here. That's one of our traditions. Our special, yeah. Um, okay, mutual friends who are where you are. 
So people with whom you can relate more fully than others. They're at, maybe at the same family station as you, same interest or shared values. So you know when you when you have young children, um, you know it's helpful to be able to interact with other people who are at that same stage of life with you. They're, they can commiserate with you about the sleepless nights and you know recognize how tired you are. And um, I mean, we remember, but not we don't feel it the same the same way, right? So, so, so we want to be very clear here. We we have friends that are not where we are in terms of how old their children are or. Uh, the demands of their job, and, and we have really good friends that don't share our spiritual beliefs. Um, but we make sure that we spend time with people who are aligned with where we are because it takes so much off the table. Because then you can just get right to whatever's bothering you and you don't have to explain the pretext because we're in the same place. And when you interact with another couple who's basically in the same space as you are in terms of values, in terms of station in life, um, you suddenly don't feel like we're the only ones in this, there are other people who understand where we're at, and that reinforces uh, our own relationship. Uh, learn together. Mm. So whether it's taking a one-time paddleboarding lesson together, standing next to each other during a guided tour, or actually discovering a new hobby, learning together can be rewarding in so many ways. And shared spiritual activities. Pray, read the Bible, teach a class, participate in Bible Day Camp or VBS together, have devotionals, grow in faith together. Teach a class together at Pepperdine. <laughs> Actually, that, I, I have to tell you, now, um, and this is one of those things where, where, you know, we struggle with this. What Corey would rather do is sit here and sing to you. And maybe someday she'll do that, because that's, that's her gifting. Actually, one of the rituals we didn't talk about, for all of our children, when we put them to bed, so this is a, a family thing, uh, we're not always home every evening, but here's the deal. All the way up, so Josh was 12, and we're still singing and reading to him because he's our last one, right? He's our baby. It's way longer than we did with our older kids because we're like, no, you're still our child. Um, but here's the deal. I love to read. I, like, I do all the voices. I'm animated. So I read, and then it's like tag team. And then she comes in, and she sings. But if she's not home, all three of my kids... And I'm like, okay, I read the story, now I'm going to sing to you. They're like, yeah, no. <laughs> They're like, no, 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 mom does the singing, you do the reading. If I'm not home, she's like, do you want me to read the story? No, just go to the singing, mom. Like, that's that. But, it, 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 you know, it's one of those things that we share in, um, getting off the spiritual activities. Teaching a, a class or working through a book of a spiritual nature, we have committed for the last 10 years to doing something that enriches our marriage from a spiritual perspective at least once a year. And that has made an incredible difference in our individual spiritual lives, but in the spiritual life of us as a couple. Ah, so the last couple. I mean, show appreciation. We all get that. Um, one of the other things that we always do is uh, we'll text or you know, just send a quick message. Hope you have a great day. Hope your classes go well. Um, no matter how busy we are, we try and have that exchange at least once in a day. But... This is not just saying thank you, and it's also not just thanking your spouse for something they've done for you. It's thanking them for qualities that they manifest that you value, right? It's figuring out ways in which I can say thank you to, like, especially in the way that, that she lovingly deals with our children. Do you know how powerful it is for a spouse to affirm a spouse and say, the way you handled that situation, I really appreciate the way you did that, because I know I couldn't have done it that way. It's finding those things and going further than just saying thank you. It's showing appreciation, 
And it's also getting beyond this idea of, um, um, uh, uh, you know, I've said thank you and now my job is done and I'm gonna walk away. Because eventually, it's the same thing with I love you, right? Like we all wanna hear I love you, but if you don't act love, you can say I love you a million times, but at some point I'm gonna stop believing you. You can say the words, but if, I, if you treat me like dirt, but you say the words, the words are meaningless. And so it's the same thing with appreciation. Um, and so that's something that, that we, have to, we have to really practice. There's this really cool, uh, you can go to the Gottman Institute website or you can, in the book, in the seven principles on making marriage work, there's, a, there's an uh, I appreciate, and what they do is they list like, uh, I don't know, it's like 40 positive um, adjectives. Like, you, you know, uh, strong or loving or all these kinds. And what they encourage couples that come to them and, and work through their program, they say, take three of those adjectives and think that describes something that your spouse has done in the previous week. But before you just say, oh, you've done this, you've done this, you've done this, it's, it's right out. So if I said loving, I would write out something loving that Corey did in that week and then I would share that with her. Um, it's, it's a simple little exercise, but it's one that makes a huge, huge difference. Um, the other piece that, that was here is getting beyond, this comes back to the, you know, asking the open-ended questions. So I'm proud of you, right? It's one of those, we use it with our children, so maybe we'll use it with, with each other. I'm proud of you, you know, you did a good job today in the, in the class. But it's being specific. I'm proud of the way you, ba 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 ba. Be specific. Pick something that is done. Don't just make the statement. Back it up. Because a lot of times, just making the statement, I'm proud of you, I appreciate you, I thank you, is a platitude and meaningless. Uh, the last thing. Oh, I just said that. Share why. <laughs> you feel certain things. So the way this one looks is like this, right? Instead of saying, uh, I, I love this, and this is from the Gottmans, this, this point. Um, instead of saying, I'm proud of you, I'm proud of the way you fill in the blank. Instead of saying I'm attracted to you, say I'm attracted to your fill in the blank. Instead of saying I'm impressed by you, I'm impressed that you fill in the blank. Or instead of saying I like you, I like how your eyes smile when you smile. You know, like, like fill in the blank. We are well, four minutes over time. Uh, but we're happy if you have uh, any comments or questions uh, to speak to you. Uh, before you go, God bless you all. Just before you leave, uh, I'd just like to offer a prayer. Almighty God and Father, in so many ways in our world, marriage is under attack. And so we pray a blessing on those who are, who are struggling in marriage. And um, we pray, Father, that you can help us to help each other to cultivate meaningful friendship in the context of marriage to deepen all the loves that we should be showing our spouse. Father, we just pray that blessing particularly on those who are here today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.